Now, that's a hard topic to pick songs for. It's a hard principle to live. I was thinking as we were singing the last song, if Jesus goes with me, how many times do we just simply need to leave the, leave the word if off? I mean, if we just think about it. Jesus goes with me wherever I go. It's heaven to me. It doesn't matter where. But we get that word in every once in a while in the life that we live, and, and that sometimes causes us problems. I bear his cross every day. And that's sometimes hard to do as well if you understand what is involved in bearing the cross that, that is there. We live in a world that has drastically changed down through the years in one sense, but in another sense, it's still the world. There's still a, a world out there that has no concept or desires to have no concept of the reality of a true, loving God who made plans for a redemption of man, that it didn't matter who the individual was or the depths of the sin that one was engaged in, that one could find forgiveness of sins and a hope of eternal life with God one day. We live in a world, and now it has always been again, where the world basically wants to do what it wants to do, and it's willing to do whatever it takes, if you will, to do just that. They've changed the Word of God. That's not new. Satan did that back in the Garden of Eden. And they get bold about it, and the changing that they do, and they keep coming out with new and different translations that will support what they want to believe, and they will deny the concept of what the Word of God actually does teach. And oftentimes in reaction to that, then you get individuals who want to swing to the other side of the pendulum, if you will, and want to declare and, and promote that there's only one authorized version of the Bible, and they have a rough time trying to do that. But when we read what it is that God has done, what God is doing, what God hopes to do, and how his will will be accomplished, then this being a, a servant of Jesus can take on a different hue for us if we will but let it, we will let it happen in our lives. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians in that first letter and in that fourth chapter, asked some questions in the reading that we'll spend some little bit of time working with this evening, just to consider along the way. Ties in a little bit, <coughs> excuse me, about this morning, the, the touch of the master's hand. I had one who asked me, he said, I, just, I was just positive I was going to hear the poem the touch of the master's hand in that old violin. Uh, but some of you have already heard that. And, but I want us to think about it, the touch of the master's hand. Who makes you differ from another? 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. And what do you have that you did not receive? 
Now, if you did, if you indeed did receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? The touch of the master's hand and the molding and the shaping of our lives. What do we have that we have not received? There's not an individual on the face of this earth who has not received life. They they did not do anything to earn it. They received life. Why do we boast as if we did not receive life? And I'm not sure how how far God will allow us to go. He has his limits, and he will impose them at his time and in his will. But So I don't know how far God will allow us to go in our desire to be able to create life. But whatever they have done in the past, the, the duplication of the genes, the creating of a, the sheep dolly and whatever else, all I know is whatever they have done, it's taken years, and whatever they have done has taken intellect. What do you have that you did not receive? Where did you get that intellect? What is the basis for it? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? All they're finding out, however far that we are allowed to go and we've done things that were been unbelievable or unthought of 50 years ago, even 30 years ago, that we've been able to do and to accomplish along various lines. But again, it's simply the reminder, regardless of what we do, God has already done it. And it's always that reminder, God has already created. He's done it in an instant by a spoken word. He created the universe. Man piddles around and tries one way or another and... uh, Sometimes you catch those glimpses here and there, and you know one of the cleaning agents that are out there is uh, the 409, and you know why they call it the 409, don't you? 409 tries to get that combination, <laughs> or WD-40, 40 tries to get to that combination. Whatever it is, it's simply saying it takes intellect. So why do we boast as if we have not received that from somewhere down the line? And if we have, and we understand that it came from God, then we also understand that God is still in control. And sometimes that's hard in the life that we live to be able to comprehend that along the way. You look down at verse 9. For I think that God has displayed us the apostles' Last, as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle of the world, both to angels and to men. Why God chose to do it the way that he has, we will not ever understand. And ours is to think that we, as the scriptures say, are the light of the world. We are like that city that is set on a hill that cannot hide its light. And it is a light that can be seen from a great distance. 
Reminded of that recently as we flew out to California and one of those trips it was at nighttime. And just to be able to see from 38,000 feet, to see cities down below, there's no way that they can see you 35,000 feet up in the air. But you can see that city. Sometimes they're just small individual lights. But they shine. And we want to see the positive, and we need to see the positive along the way, but we also need to understand the negative side of that. You are a light that shines in a world of darkness that for the most part does not want to receive the light because their deeds are evil and they do not want them exposed. So they're going to seek to put out that light. And they're going to do it in a variety of different ways. Here you have the apostles, those that were hand-chosen by Christ to carry a message of redemption into the world And Paul says that we have been considered last, condemned to death. We've been made a spectacle of the world. And that that last part of it, we're not only a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We're not told how they view us. We're created a little bit lower than the angels, so they're a little bit higher than we are. And to what degree and how that works out, that's God. He works that out. But the fact that the angels are concerned or interested in what happens down here. And that we are considered as a spectacle to them. What are you trying to do? You who are small in number are trying to change a world that is totally lost in darkness and have no intention, for the most part, have no intention of wanting to come out of that darkness. They're happy with where they're at. And they do not want to see another way. They do not want to see another change in life. So we modify it and we change it. Where we went to do our son's wedding was not my choice. But there is a city that is built for nothing more than entertainment. And if you followed its history, which prayerfully you haven't, you know, I don't know what reason you would have to want to follow how Las Vegas was established and built out in the middle of the desert and so forth. But it's interesting to see the progression That also in me, that involves a digression. <laughs> what are all of the hotels noted for today? They're entertainment. And many of them have built amusement parks and entertainment cities for you to leave your children there while you go out and do your business of gambling. They make it a family affair to make it sound more pleasant to the eye. But all it's for is for the gambling. Where do you think they get the money to build those fancy hotels? They don't get it from the room rates. 
You cannot go into a hotel. You cannot go through the airport there without being barraged by the swap machines. So the world will see you as a spectacle. You're trying to change all of that. You're trying to say that that's wrong. What's wrong with the little bit? It's wrong, just from the, the get-go. The angels in the world look at you. So we are fools for Christ's sake. And I've seen the t-shirt, I'm a fool for Christ, whose fool are you? It's foolish in the eyes of the world to even think that you would want to be able to change or to think that you can change individuals. And so we have this concept in our life. If Jesus goes with me, he does go with me. And I need to understand that in a life that I live. But you're wise in Christ. Leaven, to this present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed, beaten, and homeless. Wow. As you read that second or first and second letter to the Corinthians, as well as other passages that deal with, particularly with Paul and the life that he lived and the things that he went through, again, these are things that we'd look at. If it turned around and all of a sudden we were hungry because we could not get food, and we were thirsty, if we were poorly clothed because we could not afford to buy clothing by being a Christian, if we were beaten for no other reason than being a Christian, and if we were lost our homes and we were homeless, for the most part, many might be asking the question, why has God abandoned us? Why has he left us? Why are we going through this? We're his people. Do we not believe that he will feed us? He feeds the birds of the air. Does he not care more for us than he does the birds of the air? Why are we in this situation of dire straits? Because you live a life that's different than the world. And then you have Christ. Had no place to lay his head. Didn't have a home. Depended upon the goodness and the generosity of those who believed in him and followed him and helped support him and those that were working with him. Was willing to be that servant here in order to be the savior in heaven. We labored, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. Have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. Some translations have the scum of the earth. That's where, kind of where the title came from. But the offscouring of society. That's how the world views you. You serve no real value. Listen, the world's going to do what it wants to do. They're going to live the life they want to live. They're not really going to listen to you. So whatever you say, I mean, you, you have no purpose in their life. And I was thinking as I was sitting there, but you know, 
I've often referred to that off-scouring of all things as the, that word has the meaning as for us in our days when you take an SOS pad and you clean out a real dirty pot and you get all the inside what you cooked in there, you get it all rubbed off and everything else and you got that yucky stuff at the bottom of the pot. That's the off-scouring. It didn't have a purpose. I mean, it's good for nothing but to be tossed down. What we don't remember at times, what did it do? It changed the pot, did it not? It changed the pot. The world has been changed as a result of Christianity. They just simply do not know that. And again, there's no way for us to speculate, so the speculation is useless. But the world will never understand how much Christians, those who believe in God, in Christ, those who have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures, those who have given their lives in service to God, regardless of what it is, they will never understand how they've changed the world in which we live. It's just going to be an impossibility for them. We're reminded of that briefly, if you will, back in Genesis 18 and 19, when God is, was going to come down and destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And as Abraham pleaded with God, start with 50 righteous souls and got down to 10. And then that statement of God, if 10 righteous souls could be found in the city, he would not destroy the city. You know Sodom and Gomorrah. You've read about it. You've heard it in the scriptures. You read it in the Old Testament. You looked at Jesus' parallel or his use of it in the New Testament. Nothing but exceedingly wicked. Kept under the torment of eternal punishment as an, and as, as an example for those who would follow likewise. But for ten righteous souls, he would have spared the city. And if those ten righteous souls had been there, they already did not want to accept Lot. He was an outsider, as they said. He was an outsider, and he comes in here, and he's going to judge us. Who, is this? Who does he think he is? Would, you, would Sodom and Gomorrah have ever known that they were saved because of Lot and his family? And the question's been asked, well, the statement's been made so many times, uh, God does not punish America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. But I like the other side. How many righteous souls would it take for God to spare America from her wickedness? And the answer is, I do not know. I pray that I'm one of them, and I pray that you are one of them. That would be among, among that number. But regardless of how many it would take, if that number was there, and the number does not have to be large, but if that number was there, would America ever believe that she still exists today because of those who they consider to be the offscouring of society, worth nothing but to be cast aside and destroyed? Would they ever believe it? Do we understand the value, the worth, 
the trust that God has in you as an individual. He believes that you can and that you will be the person he wants you to be regardless of how the world views you. And regardless how others may view you along the way. Sometimes we even do that to Christians. You're just an off-scour and you don't really have a purpose. How can we even say that? When there's not a soul upon the face of this earth who does not have a soul that God gave. And that soul is eternal and will be somewhere eternally. And it matters not who they are. Paul would talk about himself as being the chief of sinners. He would describe, he's described in Acts chapter 8, the first couple of verses, in Acts chapter 9, the first couple of verses, as one who made havoc of the church. I mean, made havoc of the church, dragging off men and women, casting them into prison, casting his vote to have them put to death, receiving letters to go into Damascus to find Christians there and to drag them back to Jerusalem, making havoc of the church. And as you read his statement, I'm the chief of sinners that in me might be demonstrated the love and the patience of God. That if he could save the chief, the worst of all sinners, he can save anybody. But it matters not how the world views us. Sometimes it matters not how we view ourselves. What does matter is how God views us. And this is what Paul was talking about here in 1 Corinthians 4. We don't write these things to shame you. Verse 14. But as my beloved children, I warn you. I want you to see a danger that's out there. As human beings, we like to be liked. As human beings, we like to be respected. But as that new creation in Christ Jesus, that is not how the world is going to view you. But there are those who are looking. There are those who understand the the brevity of life, the uncertainty of life, who understand that a life that they're living is not right and they need to, be, need to make a change but not sure how to do it. And you, you may have already come across them and not know it. But they're there. There are those who are looking and searching. 
as many of us were in years gone by. Found the life we were living was not what we wanted to live and knew we needed to make a change and to find those who were willing to share and to teach so that salvation could be gained. And you never know who it is. You never know the words that you say, the deeds that you do, what an impact that it makes upon other people, the kind little gestures that are done, that opportunity to give a person to talk, and then to share. Yes, we are the scum of the earth, but we are the salvation, or we have the salvation to offer to those who have a need. So regardless of how we're viewed, do we understand that we have a new life in Christ Jesus? We have a new mindset. Do we, so we do set our things on the things that are above where Christ dwells. We strive to do the things that God would have us to do. Live that life that's hard to live at times from our point of view, but with God's help, it's always easy to do. Walk in the light as he is in the light, and we have that fellowship with one another. Are we willing to come to Jesus? Are we willing to let him know who we are and of our need and our love for him? Jesus, let us come to know you. Have you ever thought about that? As you listen to that song, listen to the words. Jesus, let us come to know you. Not, not the name, not the position, but let me know you who you really are and let me know what you have in store for me and then let me live it in trust and obedience so as you look at your life this evening is it where it needs to be or is there a need for you to make a change in your life if there is there's an invitation that's always open and if there's a need at this time for you to make that change, if we could assist you, if we could help you, we encourage you to come as together we stand and sing.